I want to uh, just share with you this evening on the subject, Christ's resurrection victory. Christ's uh, resurrection victory. <clears throat> and this is part two. We said to you on Sunday that uh, the reality of our faith is the risen Christ. So the resurrection is the reality of our faith. And if we, since we, not so much if we, but since we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is a settled issue. That is a reality that can never be negated, never be changed. Uh, it's going to exist forever that Jesus Christ is the resurrected God, the resurrected man, rather. He is the resurrected man, the God man. And so I want to continue to share a little bit and just bring you somewhat up to speed. Um, on Sunday, I talked about Christ's victory is an eternal victory. And so we have to understand that, that these things um, often are sort of walked past right over or passed by because a lot of times as believers, we want uh, messages to address what we consider to be our present need, like, oh, um, I am despondent, so I want a message on how to be uh, cured of despondency, or um, I'm, I'm infirm, and so I want a message that will deal with sickness. We don't necessarily have to uh, have messages like that. They're wonderful, and I'm not against them at all. But when you know that Jesus Christ is resurrected and you're reminded of the fact that this man uh, beat death, then whatever, and this man beat death for you, so whatever is going on with you is important to him. And these are things that Christians or believers must be reminded of. So his, his um, uh, victory over death is an eternal victory. Therefore, that victory was for you. That victory was for you. Jesus became a man to bring victory to fallen man. So Jesus now has given you and, and, and me victory over death. So what that means is that the most formidable foe you will ever have is, has already been defeated on your behalf. Amen. Been defeated. So, so I want you to get that. So we, we were sharing that Sunday. Also, we don't anymore move by so much as intuition. And I know we talk about intuition in the natural realm. Uh, you know, people have this intuition. They can sense things. But you and I don't have to depend on fallible intuition. You and I now have a dependency on the Holy Spirit. So we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He's not renting where he moves out. He lives in you. That's the place of his dwelling. And so you and I now have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we move by uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit at his direction, at his direction. <clears throat> so how then did we get the Holy Spirit? Jesus died to give you his spirit. So then when we are reminded of these things, then our confidence in the Lord is a settled confidence, and we, we don't vacillate. We don't go from believing to not believing. Why? Because the proof of his resurrection is alive in you. Amen. And that's, that's what we want to, to get over to you today. So the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus died to give you a spirit. So we do know that he died. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit. And that, there has been a great difference in my life since the Holy Spirit came. So now again, the reality of our faith is the resurrection. 
And I want to just recap quickly to say his death was really your death. It was our death. So when Jesus died, he died to sin. He died to this, all this world. So when, when Jesus did that, now you and I come to Jesus, we die to those things as well. So we die to the world's power over us. So we are out of the world's sphere. We don't, we don't live in that realm anymore. We don't live in the activities of the earth where, where all things are natural. So when Jesus got out of the grave, it was just an immense victory. It was a, vic a, vi a victory that is eternal and that is forever settled. And so I, I want you to, to also, lastly, um, perhaps I would say it in another way, his, then his re resurrection is your resurrection. So that means that his resurrection was a portend uh, your resurrection. It, it was a, a, like, like a prophecy that, that your res you will have a resurrection just like his. So now let's go on now to talk a little bit about this because Paul taught was uh, reteaching, reeducating the Corinthians. We often have to do that because we live in a fallen world and there are always pressures and attacks against our faith. Um, I w sometimes we think that, that those things are per coming against perhaps our, our body, but the real object is they're coming against our faith. So the enemy is always coming against your faith because if he can cause you to lose faith, he can then exercise, quote unquote, some kind of temporary victory, you know, some kind of temporary victory. But your faith is a settled issue as well. So my faith is in Jesus Christ now, who he is then and what he has done. So we have to keep that. And when we keep that faith, there's nothing the enemy can do against you. Absolutely nothing. Uh, he, he'll war against your mind, but you know that Jesus, that Jesus Christ has so uh, defeated him that there's absolutely nothing that the enemy can put into your mind. Absolutely, in the, in the eternal sense, in the, in the uh, long-term sense, there's nothing he can put into your mind that can overthrow what God has put into your heart. So here he says in verse 1 of, of 1 Corinthians uh, 15, Moreover, more brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which you stand, and in which you are saved. So those three things are true. <clears throat> you received it, you stand in it, and you are saved, past tense. And if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, unless that was empty, it was just a mental assent. And the reason we know that, that those things were, were not uh, in vain is because we continue. We always continue. We, we, you may have a moment, you go, God, what is this? What is this? Oh, it's nothing. And, and go forward. I think many of us have had, that, have had that. We've had attacks against us. And for a moment, we feel like we're going down and suddenly we're strong. And, and that, that shows you that your faith is genuine. <clears throat> I, too, have had times when I thought, I don't know if I'm going to make it, Lord. And then I'll say, stop that. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Don Lavelle. You know, you can do that to yourself. And I believe that. Now, let, let's look at, before we go to another, let me just talk about uh, why uh, this victory is so great and so important to us um, and who we are. Scripture doesn't tell you so much that you are going to be something as a lot of times prophetic people say, well, God is going to do this for you and God's going to do that for you and God's going to do that. Sometimes don't you just wish they stopped saying what he's going to do and tell you what he's already done? Yeah. You know, God has already done for you. Everyone in your sphere or in my sphere um, of influence should know who we are because of 
this amazing victory, this resurrection victory, has made us um, a people of God in this present age. So everyone in our sphere should know whose we are and then who we are, whose we are, and why we are. They ought to know those three things about you. Uh, you because you are now walking in the strength of God. We are, we are, we are uh, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says that you and I are a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation. Uh, so God then chose you through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is infallible, God chose you through him. So if God chose you through the infallible, God chose you through the overcomer, that means these little things that are coming against you are just temporary things. They're like gnats. Have you ever seen a gnat just buzz around your face, buzz around your eyes, your nose, and then you, you kind of fan them away and they keep going, and then they just keep going, get, and after a while you just smash, smash them. You know, and that's the end of him. And, and that's what your faith does. And so he says, who are you? He says, uh, 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 whose are you? Why are you? He says, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That, that means that you have, um, as it were, royal blood. You, have, you are royalty now. What does that mean? That means that you are a son of God now. So those things are what get me through my dark hours. It's not that I have some uh, temporary spiritual analgesic. You know, rubbed on my sore muscles. It's not like I took some uh, spiritual bufferins, you know, or, or Excedrin. That's not like that. It's not that, you know. I didn't do that. I didn't take an, a spiritual antacid. What I did was I went to the Word of God, and I looked at the Word of God and said, what does the Word of God say about me? It says, you are a royal priesthood. So that means that I can offer sacrifices to God, spiritual sacrifices, that he will, will accept. Yeah, he will accept those. So, no, I hope he does. No, he will. Why? Because I'm his son. By, why? He chose me. I'm, I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. And, and he says, you are what? A holy nation. So now I don't have to try to be um, uh, a holy nation. I am a holy nation. There's nothing on the world, in the world system, that is a holy nation. There's no, absolutely no nation on the world that's a holy nation, as it were. No, we are God's holy nation. The people of God, the people who are saved by the blood of Jesus are a holy nation. So, yeah, God has his nation. It's you. And so these things are what inform us. These things inform us. These things get us through our difficulties. I am his holy nation. He's promised to look out for his own nation. And we are his own special people. Now, that's, that's who we are, and, and, that, and he's the one to whom we belong. So we are his own special people. So if, if I'm special to God, then why am I worried about the devil? You know, the, uh, Nebuchadnezzar threw uh, three young Hebrew boys, young three, probably teenagers, who were powerful in their faith. Hey, we're not, we're not careful to answer you. We're not afraid of you, old king. We know that you've conquered nations and destroyed people, people groups, but... We're not afraid of you because I, the God we serve, the God we serve is, is, is able to deliver you, you, us from your hand. But even if he decides not to, we're still not going to bow down. He said, well, I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. I said, well, I guess that's, it's going to have to be that because our God is going to deliver us one way or the other. And, and that was the, the faith of people who believed in Yahweh, but they did not have Yahweh living in them. I mean, you know, if, uh, 
if that baby is kicking around in your, in your womb, in your, in your womb, in your uterus, that baby is kicking around and moving and turning, you don't have to say, I, I, I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to do that. You know, so, so here you have a living God living inside you. So he says, why did God do that? He says, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he did that so that you might do that. So, so again, I want to reiterate what I said the other day is that the gospel is the most important message that the church has ever proclaimed or could ever proclaim. So you are not called to proclaim any message other than the gospel. Now, I'm saying that there are some good things that you could be involved in, uh, social actions, uh, things that make us better uh, as mankind. But there is no reason why you should choose those things over the proclamation of the gospel. Your first and foremost mission is the gospel. That there was a man named Jesus Christ who walked the earth for 33, 33 and a half, 33, 33 and a half years, who uh, healed the sick, you know, healed the lame, healed blind people. Uh, he did all kinds of miracles, raised dead people. One day, one time he raised a man four days dead. And then he went into the grave for the sins of, of all who would believe. And, and on the third day, death couldn't hold him. He got out of the grave. That's your message. And somebody asked, well, how did you know you weren't there? Say, but the spirit who lives in me was there. And he's testifying every day. So that's who we are and that's what we are. This... The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. And so Paul uh, had to um, um, preach again to the Corinthians because people had come in and spoiled in them, and that's what the enemy is trying to do again. Now, notice what happened. When Jesus went uh, to heaven, back to heaven, he went back to heaven. Uh, he's the first man to enter heaven. I say he went back to heaven because he's God. And so when he ascended to heaven as man, uh, the first thing the enemy wanted to do was to destroy the work of God, but he was not able to. He had a murderous rampage against the church, but he was unable to destroy the church. And, he, and so later on, when the apostles were preaching the gospel, he came with false apostles and false prophets trying to pollute the gospel. He was not able to. It was a savage attack on the gospel, but he was not able to destroy it. And now he's coming again with a savage attack against the truth of God. But I say, and the word of God says, he will not be able to destroy what God has, has built. He cannot uproot what God planted. And so Paul began to teach these three things. Christ died, he was buried, rose again, and it was seen. So, so these things, Paul says, Christ died, was buried, rose again, resurrection, and he was seen. So we, he is saying that the, the gospel is true, and th this is what you must uh, proclaim. Yes. Now, let me um, go a little, I, don't, I won't reiterate all of those, uh, I think, 11 verses I read, but let, let me look again on, on this. Paul says, uh, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He does not base this on, uh, um, on, on the scripture, uh, this scripture rather, on feeling or on some kind of a whim. But he bases these uh, historical facts on the scriptures. And I want to read Isaiah 53, uh, which comes to mind, and beginning in verse 4. He says, surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Now, Isaiah saw this hundreds of years before Jesus came. And Paul is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of this ancient text. Surely, surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When Paul says that, he speaks of both spiritual and physical healing. He says, yes, physically, we are healed by that, by those stripes. Because Matthew quotes that when Jesus went about healing everybody. And he also, uh, Peter tells us that our, our spiritual healing was based on Jesus' sacrifice. So, so all of our problems can be can be resolved in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say, by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, so Jesus Christ received all of our misdeeds upon himself. And the scripture tells us very, very clearly that he bore those things for us. And that, and that you, he, you and I are now the righteousness of God in him. That's what the scripture says. So you and I have, have much to exalt in God about. We have much to exalt in God about. And listen what he says. Um, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And what Paul wants us to know is that Jesus fulfilled this ancient text per perfectly. That's why you and I, you and I can now take this resurrection as a, a historical fact. It is a historical fact with a great and deep salvific or theological meaning. So you and I understand that. Amen. And, and Paul, Peter, as a matter of fact, the disciples talk about this. Uh, the gospel writers talk about how G Jesus Christ was standing before Pilate and didn't defend himself. Before Caiaphas, he didn't defend himself. And he says, just like a sheep before a shear is silent, he didn't open his mouth. This is amazing. And then in verse 9, it says, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And Peter tells us there was no deceit found in his mouth. Peter, who walked with him three and a half years, said, never heard him revile when people re would revile him. Never, ever heard him threatened. Not one time did he threaten when he suffered. Wow. But he committed himself into the hands of God, the Father who judges righteously. And sometimes it's difficult for us to do that. But we can, why? Based on his resurrection victory. Based on his resurrection victory. We can live the life that God approves of. We can live the life that God approves of. When somebody says to you, now we can't live that life now, but no, that's not accurate. We can live the life that God approves of. See, when you, when you take a first grader, second grader, and you give them their arithmetic and their little speller or, or maybe their little reader. Their little reader, you know, my reader said, go, Dick, go. See Jane run. See Jane run. Uh, Spot runs too. Spot ran. I mean, that's, that's how they taught us. That was my book. <clears throat> but you don't judge me um, according to a, cal a, a 12th grade calculus. No, I, 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 as a first grader, I didn't know calculus. 
I didn't know geography or history, so I wasn't graded on that. I was graded on whether or not I passed my first grade material. And I went to the second grade because I passed the first grade. And, and when you and I are living before the Lord, he's not grading us on, on uh, what we would be in a thousand years, but right now. And so you can be perfect just as your Lord and God is, is perfect. Jesus fulfilled all of this. And then Jesus also, uh, Paul is probably alluding to, to scriptures like uh, Jonah, uh, the scriptures about the prophet Jonah. Matthew talks about that in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse, verses 38 through 41. It says, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, and Jesus answered and said, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed are greater than Jonah is here. So, so God... Uh, Jesus Christ was saying, wait a minute, just like Jonah was three days and, uh, and nights in the belly of the great fish, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. And we know that on the third day, Jesus got out of the grave. So what Paul is saying is that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected according to the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures. And this is what he's saying. We have infallible proof. It's incontrovertible. And so you and I have the same. You say, well, I didn't see Jesus like, uh, like some of those people saw him. Yes, but you've seen him. You've seen him in spirit, and he lives in you. You saw him with your spiritual eye. You confessed him, and he came to live in your heart, and he lives in there right now, and he will never leave. He will never leave, and this is the, the truth of Scripture. Now, lastly, let me just say uh, that Paul also uh, compared Christ's resurrection to the first fruits. Um, uh, the first fruit, fruits were presented to God on the day following the Sabbath after Passover when um, on that third day it was imperative that Jesus got out of the grave on the third day and uh, because on the third day it was the day after the Sabbath it was on pass, uh, Passover uh, after Passover and so Jesus had died during that Passover feast and and so now that day after that Passover celebration, Jesus got out of the grave. What was happening in Israel, uh, the high priest was there waving the barley sheaves. There was the first fruits. He was just waving them that Sunday morning. Now he's up there thinking that, that one day the Messiah is coming, right? And the Messiah had already come. They had, they had killed him. They had crucified him. And now he's over there waving the barley sheaves. And Jesus is getting out of the grave, fulfilling that, fulfilling that. And so Paul is, is reciting these scriptures and saying, no, Jesus fulfilled that. Because now what, Paul, I'll, I'll read it if I have time. When Paul talks about it, I think it's, it's worth reading again. Paul talks about Jesus uh, rising uh, from the dead and being seen. It's very important being seen. The, the, when the high priest went out uh, early that morning uh, waving the barley sheaves, those barley sheaves were seen. So it was imperative that the first fruits, the real, the true first fruits, Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of those who slept or those who died, got out of the grave. It was important that he would be seen. Now, now let's, let's look at, at this and then we'll go on. Um, in Le Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14, I'll read it. Uh, somewhat quickly. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. So Jesus is the first of the harvest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. That's on early Sunday morning. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And this grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah. He goes on to tell you what it is. And lastly, in verse 14, he says, uh, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generation and all of your, all of your dwelling. And, uh, and then what, what Jesus is saying, that as in Adam all die, this is in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. As in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Then he says, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ that is coming. So you're going to have a resurrection just like his. Just like his. You're going to have a resurrection just like his. And so all these temporary things that are coming against you, all the deception that is in the world, all of the, the lies that are told, all of the negative things that are going on, even sicknesses, uh, viruses, pandemics, all of that stuff is passing away. All that stuff cannot touch you because you now, you now have the power of Christ's resurrection. You now have the promise of a resurrection. You, you now have the promise that everything that comes against you cannot overcome you, cannot overtake you, cannot destroy you. This is what God has promised to you. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. And then Christ was seen. Uh, he says he was first seen by, by Peter, Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by 500 brethren at one time. Then he was, after that, he was seen by James, his own brother. Then after that, he was seen by all the apostles. They all saw him. Then last of all, Paul says, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. And then Paul says, I was born out of due time. You may think that you were born out of due time. I wish I'd been in, there in the days of the Lord. No, I think maybe many of them might wish they were with you in this amazing, marvelous day that you and I can see the coming of the Lord and see his, him coming through the clouds, perhaps. I, perhaps there's somebody in this room that's going to see the Lord come through the clouds. Maybe all of us, but certainly some of you will see him come in, in the clouds. What a glorious day. What a glorious day. So it's not something you are born out of due time. You're born at the right time, at the very, very right time. Paul says, I, I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles. And sometimes I know you feel unworthy because of your past sin. Paul felt unworthy. I'm the least of all the, all the, the apostles uh, because I persecuted the church of God. I didn't persecute the church of God, but I have turned my back on, on, on the Lord as a 19-year-old as a walked away from God. Not worthy to stand behind this sacred desk. But Paul, as Paul said, I'm unworthy to be an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. After having been taught at 19, I thought I'll go my own way. I don't think I deserve to be behind this sacred desk. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are. You're a son of God. So it doesn't matter what you were. What's important to God is who you are. We'll come back in a minute.